As I was preparing this morning for, uh, for this study, it hit me that this weekend is the sixth anniversary of my being pastor here among you. Um, so that went fast. Uh, that I, uh, and uh, so it's amazing how time compiles. But it was a good moment for me to sit and reflect uh, on the progress that we have made as a church and the, the good things the Lord is doing in our midst and how far we have come over six years. These have been, at times, a very difficult six years. There has been a, a tremendous amount of energy that you all have put into this, this work here and there's been not just energy in terms of activities and organization and participation. You have been putting relational energy into this church. You have been building friendships. And that is what we are talking about in this series that we're going to wrap up this morning. We've been talking about friendship and the importance of it, the power of godly, wise friendships, the emotional strength that it gives us. We've been talking about how to build friendships, how to keep friendships. We've been exploring all of these things over the last couple of months. And this morning, we're going to wrap it up with a kind of summary proverb. And the proverb is chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Let's talk about the character of our friendships and the, the character that we are coming to have as a church. Um, it is an amazing thing to see the character of a church change over six years. And when I say character, I don't mean the kind of intangible qualities. I mean the moral and spiritual strength of a church, a body of people. We're seeing faithfulness and promise-keeping. We're seeing care. We're seeing um, all kinds of things emerge just naturally because People are coming together and caring for each other and really putting the time in. Um, on, on Thursday night, I was sitting in the back. I got to be a back row Baptist on Thursday night, which I don't normally get to do. And uh, several of the elders were in, in kind of the back circle to pray for people who wanted prayer for healing. And Bert was... Uh, sitting next to me and it was just looking at this, looking at people singing together boisterously, praying for each other, upholding each other, and, and taking all of this in. And I looked over at Bert and said, well, this is awesome. Because what I was seeing was that a group of people who are new to each other and new to this place and this ministry and, and coming with many challenges, many fears, many, uh, many uh, things that inhibit us, all of these people, you have come together and you have become a church. 
That is saying something. That does not just happen. It happens because people purpose together, we are going to follow Christ. We are going to go through the tough things and we are going to come out the other side stronger. We're going to love each other patiently. We are going to serve each other through all kinds of difficulties, the normal ones that come through life and the ones that result when we realize we don't agree. We're going to serve each other through all of these things. You have done that. And we have seen something happen that only the Lord can do. Only Christ can make a church. And that is what you have seen him do. And it just hit me Thursday night. That's what we're seeing here. And it is a deep encouragement to me to be able to look back uh, at, at six years here and say, the Lord is in this. The Lord has done this. And a key part of the, the blessing the Lord is, has given is, is really coming from this proverb. The realization that all of us have that we have the power with our mouths, with what we say and with what we don't say, to give death or life. We have that ability. That power is on our tongues. And we have also come to the realization, not only as we have studied friendship, but in our whole uh, experience together as a church, we've come to the realization that we will eat the fruit of our mouths. We will see the harvest of what we say. If we speak things that contribute to life, we will see life come to fruition. If we are speaking death to each other, we will also see that. And so in our life uh, as individuals, we so often find ourselves staring the fruit of our own behavior in the face, as it were, and looking at it and wondering, do I want to eat this? And so there is an element in this proverb of warning. There's also an element of encouragement that if we embrace and continue to learn how we can speak to one another and give life in the Lord, if we continue to do that, we're going to eat the fruit of that. We're going to see that fruit come more and more, and we're going to love it like we have seen uh, in, even in this past week. On the flip side of it, there is a warning here. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can accomplish a great deal and you can destroy it very quickly. And we will eat the fruit of that too. We will eat the fruit of both. And so I'd like us to think about this proverb together. We're going to uh, talk about eating the fruit of our ways, of, of what we say to each other in friendship we're going to talk about that in relation to ourselves, evaluating our own hearts, and then we're going to talk about it in relation to other people, the people we want to relate to. What are we hearing from them? What, are, what kind of words are we receiving from them? We're going to evaluate that. And then we're going to look at Jesus and what he says 
about the change that is required. If you want to change what you say, you have to change what you are thinking and feeling in your heart. And so we will look at what Jesus has to say about that change. Let's dive into this proverb. It's a very straightforward proverb in many ways. And yet there are some things about it that are a little bit strange, as is the case with almost all proverbs. And it's the strangeness of this proverb that tells the story. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's the first line. Words have power. You can build up or you can destroy. You can give life, you can give encouragement, or you can take life. You can drain it, you can kill it. Uh, this past week, uh, my boys and I went out on a, a, a hike in the hills uh, just beyond our house, and we just wandered around out there in the hills, and it was uh, amazing to be out there at the peak of spring. The grass is not going to be any greener than it is this week, as, as we know. Uh, I, actually, I think we call California the Golden State. I think that's just a euphemism for brown grass. I think that's all that is. We're trying to make a virtue of this. We're the, we're the, the, the marketing state, so uh, we know how to do that. So all that grass is going to turn brown, and there were all these wildflowers out there. It was just, you, you had this, this carpet of, of ye little yellow flowers, and you had other patches of purple flowers all over the place. And so here we are, kind of walking in what, what was like a wonderland. And then, then you've got that, uh, you've got the oak trees out there. When they're sprouting at the beginning of spring, it's this bright, bright green that it won't be in June or July. It fades to this darker green. So we're out in the hills looking at life bursting out because of what God does in the physical world. He created a system where it rains. And in California this year, it did. And, and there are all these seeds that just produce life. God created that system and it feeds us. We rejoice in that, in that, all of that beauty. What we're saying here is, in verse 21, there is a relational system of life. God built it exactly the same way he built the physical system of life. There are things you can do that will cause life to flourish. And there are things that you can do to kill life. And so one of the things that we're enjoying in our life as a church is the, the springtime of a lot of work relationally where we've put the time in and we've, we've cared for each other. We're starting to do more of these things and so we're seeing the life come out. But the reality is uh, that in a few short weeks, all of that grass is going to be brown. In a couple of weeks, none of those flowers will be there. They'll all be gone. Because we're entering that 
period where it starts to dry up and the life that emerged, it's going to go away. Life has to be sustained. It has to be fed. Now, if this was Oregon and we had what they've got up there throughout the summer called rain, then we would have this thing called summer wildflowers where in July you would go out there and there would be flowers and there would be green grass and all sorts of wonderful things out there. We don't sustain that here in California. California um, runs out of water. And uh, so I think of, when I think of death, I think of my lawn a couple of years ago. Uh, go out there, and this was, uh, you know, the summer of 15, I think. Um, and what's out there? Well, nothing. Brown, brown grass. The only thing that's growing there is not the good stuff. The only thing that's growing is weeds. And so if, if there happened to be some rain come or some sprinkler come on that we didn't intend, then you, you would get a few weeds growing up. But that was it, death. Where there's no way to feed the life with good nourishing water, care, weeding, cultivation, all of those things, it's going to die. And so you go out into the neighborhood, you look out at all of the lawns a couple of years ago, what were you looking at? Death. The physical system of life is the same as the relational system. If you want life, you have to feed it. How do we feed life relationally? Words. We speak to each other. And those words if they are true, faithful, good, kind, loving, upholding, if they are those kinds of words, we see the green of life. If they are words of criticism, withholding love, backbiting, slander, all of these kinds of things, it is like turning off the sprinklers and just look at what happens to that relationship. It dries up, it turns brown, and the only thing that will grow there is relational weeds. The power of the tongue gives death and life. So this, in friendship, what we are seeing positively in the life of our church is that the tongue is powerful. When we speak to each other in these ways, it gives life. And we're seeing, we're eating the fruit of that. But then there's this second line. The second line seems straightforward, but it's not. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat it's fruit. The more you think about that, the more I really observe that, the more I find myself asking, love what? It says, love it. So maybe it could be saying, those who love life will eat its fruits. Okay, that might work. 
or maybe those who love it, those who love death, will eat its fruits. That would be true as well. But the last thing mentioned was the tongue. Those who love the tongue, love speaking, talking, will eat its fruits. That would also be true. But it wasn't the tongue that was at the end of that first line. It was death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it. You can be in love with the power of your words. You can love your ability to make things happen around you. And this proverb is saying, those who love that power will eat its fruits. Now that's a little bit frightening, isn't it? Because when I see someone who loves, enjoys, um, luxuriates in their power to encourage, I'm looking at a life-giving person, somebody who goes around and they understand that they have the power through the words that they say to enrich the people around them, to lift people's spirits, leave them feeling more valued and, and more empowered, all of these kinds of things. So when I see that person going around and giving that kind of encouragement, loving it, enjoying the power of words that encourage, I'm seeing somebody who's going to eat the fruit of that and it's going to be a feast relationally. Life is just going to spring up all around them because people respond to goodness and good things that are said, true things. This is different from the kind of flattery uh, that we talked about a few weeks ago where we try to win friends by um, buttering people up. This encouragement is this life-giving affirmation that who you are and what you do is valuable and, and, uh, and worthy and all of those things. So that person who loves that power to encourage is going to eat the fruit of that according to this proverb. The reverse is true. There are those who love the power to destroy. It is, you can see it. They relish it. They love insults. They love it because a special note of pleasure and commitment comes into their voice when they say something insulting and not sated by that, not satisfied with that, they say more and more and more. And they can't stop. There are those who love the power of the tongue to kill, and they gain power, um, a sense of value, a sense of of uh, vibrancy and life from the killing impact of the tongue on the people around them. 
Another word for this is abuse. And so this proverb is kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? On the one hand, it's saying, um, if you love the power of your words to encourage, you will eat the fruit of that. But if you love the power of your words to kill, you will also eat the fruit of that. It will not be a good feast. It'll be a feast of poison, a feast of death. And you can see people, um, not necessarily old people, you can, you can see young people already having burned bridge after bridge after bridge in their life because of what comes out of their mouth. And they are already at 22, 25, 35 creatures of bitterness feeding off of poison. So this proverb cuts right to the heart of the question of friendship. Remember how we defined friendship? You gather friends around the things that you love. You gather friends around your shared loves with them. Maybe that's a love of uh, sports, games, a love of activities. Maybe it's a love of hiking, biking, whatever it may be, a love of politics, a love of art, whatever it happens to be. You're going to gather your friends around the things where you share love for those things. This proverb goes right to the heart of this. Do you love the power to encourage? Do you love that potency in what you say because if you do you will gather your friends around that shared love and you will eat the fruit of that love do you love destruction insult haughtiness slander lying back by do you just thrive on this if you do you will gather friends around that shared love. You will eat the fruit of that. In all candor, just all cards on the table, one of the things that this body needed to learn was how to repent of the power of the tongue that kills. And it, one of the reasons it is so rich for me to see things like the worship service on Thursday night where there's so much life and encouragement coming out is that I can look at that as a pastor and say the Lord made a change in these walls. Sometimes he changed out the people. We'll talk about that in a moment. But for a lot of us, it's just that heart change of saying, I, myself, have to choose. What am I going to love? Retaliation? What am I going to love? Encouragement? What am I really going to respond to? These hallways and this room have been a place 
of deadly words. And for you to have changed that is a huge thing. It is a miraculous thing. Don't discount it. Only Christ can make a church. And so you are watching Proverbs 18.21 in action right in this place. And you are seeing the fruit of that come out. And I just want to encourage you, what you are doing is powerful, it is right, and it is effective. Keep doing it. Keep going. With that as a transition, we really need to talk about evaluating what we hear. This is dangerous territory. We don't like to talk about this because we want to be able to say, well, I'll just work on me and I'll, I don't have to worry about what other people do. Well, what we've seen continually about friendship is that Proverbs says, you are responsible for the partnerships and friendships that you make in your life. The way you build your relationships and the shared loves at the heart of that, you're responsible for that. You need to evaluate that. And so part of what's happening in Proverbs, and in this proverb in particular, is Solomon is saying, is what comes out of you deadly or life-giving? That's obviously the first question. But then there's this other question. In what you hear from the people around you, is that death or life? And Proverbs is saying, you have the right to make that evaluation. And in fact, wisdom gives you the responsibility to make that evaluation. Why do I say this? Because if you have been in, in a relationship with someone who loves the power of death, that's a long way of saying if you've been in a relationship with an abuser who derives pleasure from the killing power of the tongue. If that's you, then one of the things you're wrestling with in all likelihood is this feeling that you don't have the right to evaluate what other people are saying to you. You don't have the prerogative to stand up for yourself. You don't have the right to make an evaluation of what you're hearing and say up or down. This is good, this is life-giving, this is or this is bad, this is death-giving. And part of what Proverbs is saying to abused people is you have the right and you need to exercise that right because your friendships are at the heart of your life. And so you need to think about this. Now, Proverbs isn't saying, boy, if somebody says the wrong thing to you, cut them off, never talk to them again. It's not saying that. It's simply saying you have the right to step back from what is being said to you and evaluate it. You are valuable enough 
to do that. And it is your responsibility to do that. And so this is Solomon, and behind Solomon, and above Solomon, the Holy Spirit of God saying, think about what you're hearing. Proverbs chapter 18 is rich, as I'm sure you heard when, uh, when Troy read it, for, uh, read it for us. It is rich with Proverbs about words and the impacts of words, so let's Let's uh, rummage around here in the immediate context a little bit for some words about evaluating what we hear. The first thing that we learn is from verse 4. It's hard to evaluate what you hear. People's intentions are dark and obscure, and we don't really have the ability to read people's minds. So this calls for a lot of humility. It does call for us to to think carefully about what we hear. Verse 4 says this, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. You can see the water. You can see the surface of it. But when you start looking down underneath those words, you can't necessarily see what's underneath. It's dark down there. It's obscure. So, on, on the one hand, you don't want to trust that everyone intends good. On the other hand, you don't want to take a broad brush and be cynical and say, everybody's evil, everybody's got hidden agendas. You don't want to do that either. This proverb is simply saying, this is dark territory, calls for humility, calls for thought, prayer, and reflection. Put the time in on this, because this is difficult when, um, uh, to evaluate what you hear. Um, I like this, verse 4. The, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Something interesting about fast water, a bubbling brook, it's active, it's moving quickly, and it's, um, it's got power, but it's, it's the, the power of it, the direction of it, the speed of it, it's right there in front of you. You can see what's happening, whereas slow-moving Mississippi River, you don't necessarily know what's down under there. You don't know what you might get snagged under. You don't know what the currents are. It's difficult. And so part of what Solomon is saying here is, go for candor. I put it this way just to be as direct with you as I can. Sometimes we have trouble saying what we really think and so we disguise it with a whole lot of evasion and maybe flattery and, and maybe uh, bullying. We, we cover up what we really mean instead of communicating, putting it out there. I would just urge you, find your way toward an open, simple, direct statement this is what I think. You can do that. You're not, going to, you're not a bad person for saying what you think. It will help the people around you, especially 
if they're abusing you. It will help them to know from you what you think about what is going on. Uh, and so these kinds of things uh, are what uh, uh, Solomon has in view here. Evaluating what you hear is difficult. You can judge someone too quickly and you can give them too much credit. So think this through. Spend time on this. Second thing that uh, Solomon describes here in this chapter, I'm looking at verses 5 through 8, is the ruinous impact of some ways that we talk to each other. And so Solomon is saying to us, don't do these things yourselves and don't receive these things from other people. Don't sit back and, and take this and hope that if you just ignore it, it will go away. It won't. So here are the things. Verse 5. He, he prefaces this little section of Proverbs by saying, It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. You know, what I, uh, uh, what I see in groups of people is the loud person, the gruff person, the person who is dangerous to listen to dominates. They get the partiality of everyone in the room. Everyone will say, oh, that's just so-and-so because we don't want to confront what's actually going on there. There's a partiality involved in that and there's a depriving of the righteous of justice. Those who have self-control with their tongues need to be the ones who set the tone in the room, not those who are the attackers. And we're watching this play out in our society uh, on all sides of the political divide, attack, defaming, all of this kind of behavior is becoming standard. How do you like it? You like living in this? I don't. It's a disgrace because those who have decided that self-control and self-limitation is right are not setting the tone in our society. And we're watching this spin out of control. Churches can watch this spin out of control. And it happens. It starts really with this judgment. I just, I don't want to talk to that person. I don't want to, I don't want to address what's actually going on here. I don't want to, I don't want this to come out in the open because it's just as simple as this. I don't want the tongue lashing from that person that I know is going to come. And Solomon is saying, don't be partial. It is time for those who have self-control to set the tone. And I, I just I want to keep coming back to this, that that is what you have done in these, in these walls. It, there were critical points in the life of the church where those of you who have been here for many years made a very conscious decision 
and would say to one another, what you just did, the complaining, the attacking, that's the old days. We're done with that now. And we are not going to participate in this because we're turning the page as a church. You did this, and the Lord blessed it. It doesn't involve attacking back. It doesn't involve being destructive in reverse. It doesn't involve cutting off relationships. It just involves saying, we're done with this now, and we're moving on. We'd like you to come with us. It works. The Lord blesses it. You're seeing it work. So uh, the next thing that uh, Solomon says about ruinous speaking, deadly speaking, verse 6, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. I know that guy. (laughs) We all know that guy. And you can just see it coming. You can just say, oh, stop. Just get a grip. Dial it back. Because you are inviting reprisal upon yourself. You're walking into a fight. Verse 7, a, man, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. This is talking about the fact that we can be in love with our own attitude. And in fact, um, he has already said this back in verse 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Twitter. Enough said. So our, our whole society is basically saying, express your opinion. Solomon is saying, ah, don't know about that. Because a fool just, just walks into a fight. He's inviting it. He's crying out for it. His mouth is his ruin. And his lips, his love of insult and superiority and haughtiness. The, the rush of adrenaline that he gets is a snare to his soul. So this is a description here of the ruin of, of deadly speech. So it is saying, watch yourself on this, and just to preach through this is, is to say, wow, I wonder what I really love. But then, on the other side of it, it is, Solomon is saying, you have a responsibility. If there is this person in your life bullying you, manipulating you, trying to drag you into their world, don't go with them. Don't show partiality to that kind of wickedness in order to resist that wickedness You have to identify it first. We want to resist it with gentleness, patience, and love. We want to resist it by reaffirming relationship and saying, I desire your friendship, but this, what you're saying, that is not friendship. So it is not what I desire. What you're doing is deadly. I desire life for you. And so we affirm all of those things. 
And Solomon is saying here, make the call. Evaluate what you hear. It's your responsibility. It's your right. Your dignity and the dignity of the people around you is worth it. Verse 8. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. Uh, what, what are delicious morsels? For me, it's Cheetos. <laughs> I can't stop. I just, uh, you, you give me that bag, it doesn't matter how orange my fingers get. <laughs> they're going in here. I just, I love Cheetos. They are delicious morsels. I haven't had a Cheeto in years because I'm trying to quit. But, uh, <laughs> but every once in a while, uh, you know, that, the, you, you can smell the Cheeto in, in, in somewhere and you just say, oh. But it's just that, it, this is saying, the words of a whisperer are Cheetos. You just, you love it. You're, you're an insider or they wouldn't be talking to you. You're smart, or they wouldn't be asking your advice. How much whispering goes on because somebody says, oh, I really need your help with this, and then they pour out what amounts to a bunch of slander. Okay? So, oh, this is, this is fantastic. I am the go-to person here, or this, this person wouldn't, wouldn't want to confide in me. That's delicious. Everybody wants that gig. Everybody wants to be the person that uh, gets confided in. It's delicious. But the problem is, those bits of gossip and slander go down into the inner parts of the body. They color the way you view people, even if you are able to be critical and recognize it for what, it's, what it is. The fascinating um, article I read um, analyzing headlines and how headlines very often reinforce false information even while they're trying to correct it. They reinforce it by repeating the false information in the headline. The repetition of false information when you're correcting it is toxic and reinforces whatever uh, a falsehood is in there. How much more if you're not fighting it at all, but it's delicious and you want more? How much more if it's Cheetos? So all of these kinds of speech are ruinous, deadly, they destroy life. They leave the lawn dried up and full of weeds. And Solomon is saying, don't be the whisperer, don't be the fool. And he's also saying this, call it, don't listen to the whisperer, don't listen to the fool, step back, do whatever you have to do, but do not participate and show partiality to this kind of ruinous wickedness. Talk to people who have dropped out of church, they all say the same thing. Gossip. Just tired of it. I've had it. 
tired of being lectured about piety on the one hand and seeing flagrant hatred and hypocrisy behind the scenes on the other. Just sick of it, done, not going back. And you can talk to them about Jesus all you want till you're blue in the face. But it doesn't make a bit of difference. We've got to keep doing what we're doing here, and that is turning from this behavior and showing faithfulness in our speech. That gives life. Then maybe there's a chance. Last bit here, overconfidence. You can evaluate somebody's overconfidence in their speech. Look at verse 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Folly is doing something out of simplicity, impulsively, acting on the basis of appearances, not on the basis of what really is going on, looking deeper at reality. That's folly. Shame is when you know that that folly is out there and you do it anyway. And then what what's comes upon us is this thing that we don't like at all called shame where we realize I am morally accountable for having done this when I knew it was wrong. So, boy, you would think that this would be about something just incredibly important like um, you know paying your bills and being honest at work and all of these kinds of things you know what this is saying is a folly and a shame giving an answer before you hear the question simple thing um, that's convicting what it is saying is overconfidence means my opinion is right even before I know the question. My judgment is right even before I know what the issue is. I am so wise. I am so good at this. I am so full of the truth. Just poke me and I, I just ooze truth. I don't even have to think. Truth just spills out of me. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, verse 2, but only in expressing his opinion. That's a fool. Verse 17. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Overconfidence, not looking deeply enough. Somebody comes to you with a terrible story about what somebody else did and you, you just believe them. Take their side right there because it seems plausible enough. I know how the world works. I know the way this goes because I'm wise. Well, what happens when you talk to the next person? Well, the story kind of changes, doesn't it? So there, there are all kinds of things that Solomon is pointing out and saying death and life are in the power of the tongue. And where he's headed with this is going through all of this ruinous behavior and overconfidence and, and toxic speech, abusive speech. And, and he comes uh, to verse 19 
A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. Once you start this, you cannot get out. Because when you start offending people through folly and shame with your mouth, you're burning bridges and busting up relationships and you're going to eat the fruit of that. So he's working up toward verse 20, for the fruit of a man's, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield, the harvest of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. What power do you love? That's the question. The power that you love dictates who your friends are. And whether your friends are all just like you or diverse, of many different ages, many different stations and ways of life and attitudes, you will eat the fruit either positively or negatively. Now what we need to get to is Jesus. How do we change? You may be sitting there saying, I need to change. I'm deep into this and I've got work to do. How do I change? Matthew 15. Jesus is asked a question about some rule breaking that his disciples do They do not wash their hands in the ritual way that tradition requires. And so the tradition is saying, everything you take in, everything you eat is making you unclean because you're not following our tradition. And Jesus replies to that question by basically saying, your tradition isn't worth anything because your tradition teaches people to disregard God's actual teaching about what is right and wrong. And he goes into an example of that. And uh, then he says, verse 10, he called the people to him. This was an important point to him. He wanted the people to get this about the idea that what you eat, what you take in, is what defiles you. He says, hear and understand. Look deeper. Don't just look at the surface of this. Go further. Verse 11. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. He says, you got it backwards. Your tradition says the evil is out there, and you have to keep that evil from coming in. Jesus says it's the exact opposite. The evil is in here. And your struggle is to keep that evil from coming out. He says it comes out of your mouth. He's talking specifically about words. Um, It's fascinating. The disciples just don't understand this. Verse 12, the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Oh, they, they didn't like that at all. No backbiting going on there. Verse 13, Jesus answered, 
Every plant, watch this, that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. What's he saying? The change that they need has to come from who? God. God plants and God reaps the harvest from what he plants. If he didn't plant it, it's a weed, it's going to die. What's he saying about the tradition that they're teaching? That the evil's out there, you've got to keep it from coming in. He's saying, weed, and it's going to die off. Here's how he goes further. They say, explain the parable to us. And he's actually impatient with them here. Verse 16, he said, are you still with, also without understanding? You don't see this? This is basic. Verse 17, for you do not, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? It's, you're just renting food. It's like that saying, you don't buy coffee, you just rent it. That's, that's what he's saying here, not to put too fine a point on it. I'd hate to get too colorful. Verse 18, what goes in, just, it's just passing through. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? The heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. He says it's not out there. It's in here. So that raises the question. Jesus how can I change what's in here? Because I see everything you're describing. It's all really down there. The, the plans, the contempt, the haughtiness, the, the view that I have of other people, it's all there. And yes, Jesus, I am not succeeding in stuffing it down and not letting it out. It's ruining my relationships what do I do? You're talking to the right person. Jesus is the one who changes the heart and thereby changes your words. When he reaches in and softens your attitude toward the people around you, when he brings humility, when he brings patience, when he opens up your ears to hear what people around you are saying, to you that is right and true, when he starts to guide you in this way, it means the two things have happened. He has forgiven what defiles you, and you are not defiled anymore. That's the first thing it means, because you asked him to change you. So he wipes away all of the defiling stuff, and he cleans up your heart. And the second thing that has happened is that he has put his Holy Spirit into you because you asked him to do that. Forgive me, change me, and I will start to behave differently. And when he does that, 
that Holy Spirit of His starts to take control and you start saying and doing things that are different from what you used to do before and it all changes. Suddenly what's coming out is life, not death. And suddenly what you perceive is life and death and you realize what you need to do to build your relationships rightly. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we need help being friends and building friendships and that certainly means, according to your teaching, that we need heart change. And so each one of us uh, right now, we pour out our hearts to you and we ask you for forgiveness. We ask you to cleanse our hearts from the things that are down there. And we ask you to give us your Holy Spirit in a fresh and powerful way so that our hearts can be redirected and filled with good things. And we pray that you will lead us to love the power of the tongue to give life. If you are praying this for the very first time, Again, it's very simple. You're simply asking the Lord, forgive me, clean me up, remove the dirt from my heart, and change me. Fill me with good so that I can live for you. If you're praying that for the first time, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would answer those prayers right now in this very place. And we ask it all. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.